Victoria. Man, that mission trip sounds amazing. I know I just moved to the Pacific Northwest, but you guys are hardcore about outdoors, so you should, th there should be an abundance of people going to that one. Um, I brought this picture up here because I get really parched when I preach, so I need a lot of water. I've done this so many times, but I still, my name's Jeremy, and I get like nervous. I think about one of my kids, she got on stage to do a dance a long time ago, and as soon as the curtain drew back, she was on her little X and like went running off the stage, and I still feel that way today. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run off the stage. Uh, so today, we're going to be, uh, Josh kind of gave me an open uh, just to pray about what to preach, and I thought it was going to be several different things, but we're actually going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, which we were in last week, um, chapter 4. And on your Bibles, if you didn't get one, they'll pass them out to you. They'll bring you one. Just raise up your hand if we haven't done that yet. But it's on page 627, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, we're going to kind of just hang out in verse 7 and beyond to 18. Um, but we're going to read the whole thing in context. Um, but before that, I don't know about you, but when I go to conferences or different places to uh, hear people speak, and it's not necessary, but I'm kind of a curious person. I'm like, man, what is that person? Who are they? Like... I'm at this conference about parenting, and I want to know that they have kids and that they're actually married or something. So um, I'm going to tell you a little of my backstory, but I don't want to take up too much time and take away from, from the scripture today. But um, so I graduated. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I don't know if that's on the southeast side. I usually can say Memphis, and everybody's like, yeah, Memphis, but you're in the Pacific Northwest. So it's over by the Mississippi River. It's in Tennessee in the corner. Um, I grew up in the city. I grew up with bars on my windows. Um, so coming to Corvallis is a little bit different um, as in my journey of life. So I graduated in 95. I didn't become a believer until the age of 24. Um, I was in and out of college. On sunny days, I liked not to go to college. I wasn't the best of students. I barely graduated high school. Um, all of my friends, a lot of them dropped out, and somehow, by the grace of God, even though I didn't know God yet, um, I, I made it through high school. But it would really be like a sunny day, and uh, I was at Tennessee Tech, and I'd be like, man, I just, I'd rather go hiking. Like, that was just me. Um, so I didn't do very well in college. I got a lot of yellow slips. I got kind of like escorted out for like semesters at a time, and just different things. It was a, just kind of a cycle in my life. Um, but by the age of 24, um, God radically changed me. You know, before that, I just kind of like filled my life with pride. I filled it with the lust of the flesh. I did things for pleasure. I did things that just I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, I was really empty in all those things. Like nothing was satisfying me. You know, I even growing up in Memphis, I'd always longed to live on the West Coast. This was in 1995 coming out of there, and I ended up moving further east to Cookville um, towards the Appalachian Mountains. But I always wanted to be out west. You know, in 97, I worked in Yellowstone National Park and just lived a ruckus life. And I look back, and by the grace of God, I'm still alive. In the year of 2000, me and my wife, we weren't married yet, but we drove all the way to Alaska because we sought adventure. And we drove out to Alaska, and we saw the northern lights. And I began, like, asking myself questions about God and the existence and things. I grew up in a Christian home. I had heard the Bible. I had heard sermons preached. And I just began asking questions in life. And by the age of 24, my mom and dad kindly mailed me a Bible for my birthday, um, a nice study Bible, and I was not very happy to receive it. I just wanted cookies. I wanted something of a treat. It's my birthday. I didn't really care for a study Bible, and I remember throwing it in the back of my trunk, a little upset, a little mad, uh, but something happened in that moment. I'm sure my parents praying. I'm sure other people praying for me. I decided that, you know what, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read it from Genesis to Revelation. Not to disprove it, I'm just kind of at this point in my life, I want to know what this says for myself. Kind of owning my own faith, owning my own salvation, trying to figure out what the scriptures say. 
And I say all that to say that the, the word of God is incredibly powerful. So I just began reading from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and different things began happening in my life at the age of 24. And at one point, I was, at a, a, I was out at a club, sort of like the Peacock, kind of, not as three stories. It was one story. I, we had set up concerts. I, I love music. And so we went out. We had, we had a band play that night. And, and a lot like Corvallis, it was a form of godliness but denying God's power. We love to do good works. We had a can drive for the poor. Like we wanted to feel good about ourselves while we go and party. And I went outside that particular night just to kind of get some fresh air. And like literally was just kind of sitting on the back of a car, just hanging out. And like somebody, Jesus, like picked me up by the belt of my pants and like threw me headfirst into the wall. Like, no lie, boom. You read in scripture about Paul getting knocked off the horse on his way to persecute the church. And so I fall backwards and I'm just still conscious. And I remember distinctively that day, God said, you can keep doing this and die, or you can follow me. And it blew my mind so much that I, I didn't even know how to process it. Because here I am, a brand new, I'm not even a Christian yet, and I'm reading through the Bible and I'm in the New Testament and God is calling these same people with the same exact word, follow me. And, and I was just perplexed. I was confused about life. I didn't know what to do. And so we lived in a farmhouse. I lived with Brooke, and we both surrendered our lives to Jesus same night. We had this disagreement. This, this is a short version of it, but I just knew I needed Jesus. If it meant losing this girl I loved, if it meant losing everything that I'd planned for in life or desired, that, that I was empty, and I needed Jesus. I needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the middle of a thunder, lightning storm, cow field, I surrendered my life in Tennessee. And I went back inside that night and my wife had surrendered her life to Jesus, but we didn't have words. We didn't hang out with Christians. We didn't know get saved or I surrendered my life to Jesus. I, I gave my heart to Jesus or whatever, but she was inside that same night and surrendered her life to Jesus. And God radically transformed us. And we began pursuing Jesus ever since then in the year of 2001. And it's been difficult at times. You know, so I went to school, I was in and out of school and at that point, I had 80-plus credit hours, and, and the Lord really called me out of school. He called me to drop out of college. I know, sounds crazy. That's what I told him. So I went one more semester, and it was terrible. It was the worst semester ever. And so I surrendered to Jesus, and I, I, I began learning to hear his voice in my journey. And so I, I dropped out of school. And I, I kind of, at that point, was part of campus life until probably a year ago. Like, I was on campus. I was doing ministry of different sorts. And so... I say all that to say that, that God has a plan for you today. This isn't about dropping out. It's, not, it's about hearing the voice of God. But it's about as we read the scripture in context today that, that God is what sustains you. It's the power of Jesus Christ inside of you. It's not your intellect. It's not your knowledge of the Bible. But, but we're going to read about being perplexed and persecuted and, and downtrodden. And there's something glorious inside of us. And so I've been pursuing Jesus ever since then. I've failed a lot. I've fallen a lot. I've sinned since then. But I wanted to pursue this treasure of Jesus Christ. You know, you read in the parables about the man who was in the field and he founds the pearl and he goes and buries it and sells all that he has to have that. And that's, that's what Jesus became to me. And I hope that Jesus becomes that to you if he's not already. And maybe even today, that's just a simple question for you today is, is what is your treasure? Is your treasure Jesus? Is your treasure your family? Is your treasure your kids? Is your treasure your job? Is your treasure this degree that you're sought after, that you're pouring everything that you have into? And maybe Jesus has a different direction for you. 
Or maybe you just need to put Jesus at the forefront of everything you're pursuing. And so that kind of began my journey. And then never thought I'd work at a church, never thought I'd be a pastor. That wasn't on my radar. We spent the first three years of my life at an African-American church. And um, growing up in Memphis, and my wife grew up in D.C., it just uh, kind of fit our context. And God just kind of began breaking my box of what I thought about him, what I thought about church. And from then, we joined a community church um, that since I love and sent me out here, uh, we were part of them from year three, and they, they're 15 years old now. In that time, I became a college director to college pastor to missions pastor, and got to go all over the world and, and do different church in different contexts. So, and the Lord, 13, 14 months ago, I had no idea I'd be here. Um, but in pursuing this treasure, God called us here. He didn't call us here because it's cool. It is cool. But God called us here because there is a great need for the gospel in Corvallis. And we lived in a great, wonderful city that lots of people believe in Jesus. And we believe that that entire city needed to come to Christ. So it caused us to still pursue Jesus, even in a pretty saturated context compared to here. So the Lord, uh, 14 months ago, called us out here. We began praying and fasting and um, visited last October. Here we are 13 months later. Uh, moved our lives here, sold pretty much everything we had to fit in a 20-foot trailer. Uh, some of you guys helped us unload. So that's the Cliff Note version. I'm Jeremy. I'm 24. I have six kids, and I'm glad to be here. So sermon's over. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, let me pray. Uh, yeah, I did that in like nine minutes, so that was good. So let's pray, though, before I, before I dive into the scriptures here. So, uh, Father, God, you are amazing. Father, that we get to come before you this morning and that we get to open up your scriptures, your, your living word as we read about in John. And we just sang about the living God, the resurrected king, Father. And Lord, that, that you have torn the veil, God, that you allow this living word to penetrate our hearts, Father. And we just stand on that truthful promise today, God, as we read this scripture. Father, that you speak to my heart in the middle of this sermon. God, that you would speak to the congregation, speak to the branch as a whole. But, Father, speak to us individually. God, let us leave here a little more transformed, a little more challenged, a little, God, just with our eternal vision and perspective changed, maybe in this moment. But, God, help that to be more and more each and every day, that we'd seek you. Father, we just thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to come before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, page 627, if you have one of the uh, branch Bibles here. And... This is ESV, and it'll be on here. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to hang out in verse 7 through 14, but I wanted to read this in all of the context because I'll probably refer back to some of it. Um, so Paul's written a, this letter to the Corinthian church, um, and he's really trying to encourage him, encourage them in this particular chapter. You'll see two things. He, he kind of bookends it. He's like, in hopes that you do not lose heart. He doesn't want you to lose heart. And he actually starts off chapter one of this particular book talking about suffering and, and not losing heart. And he's trying to encourage the local body. And so let's begin reading this in, in chapter four, verse one. It says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds in the un of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For, we, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. 
but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness and has shown into the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to the face of Jesus Christ. Verse seven. But we have this treasure in jar clays to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven into despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. And we're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our own bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for the sake so that the grace extends to more and more people and it may increase thanksgiving to the glory be to God. So again, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal, eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So again, we're going to pick up verse 7. And when I read this, I put, uh, if you guys can put the verse, uh, definition of paradox, you guys may know what that is. But paradox, it, it's really, I love the Miriam definition here. It says, a seemingly observed or self-contradictory statement at a proposition that when investigated or examined may prove to be founded true. So we read a lot of that. You guys can put up the next, one's, next slide up there. That, that a lot of these are some paradoxes as we read this. And they don't really make sense to us. I mean, it's the same with Jesus saying, whoever loses his life will find it. Like, what? Like, these make no sense. Last week we talked about those that are poor are rich. Jesus left everything so that we might be rich. And so as we read the gospel and we read the scripture today, I, I want you to think about this. And we start off, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power of God. So I brought up my little clay jars today. This is a little coffee cup, obviously. Uh, this was a nice Goodwill purchase. Um, I love the Goodwill here since we moved here and sold everything. Um, but I bought this just for today. I'll probably return it, um, get some clothes. <laughs> Maybe. You might like it. My wife might like it. Yeah. Um, just kidding. So, but I think about this. I, when I, I love this verse because it's, it, it's, it's one of these verses in my life that's like, it's awestruck. I'm like, Man, the, this treasure in jars of clay, like, who puts a treasure in a jar of clay? So basically it's saying this, this earthly jars of clay in this context are like everyday vessels of the time period. So they had this, they had, uh, you know, coffee cups, they had vessels to go get water or whatever it is. And you think about like what your treasure is, and you're just going to stash it in there. And maybe you're cool with that, but to me that's, that's really weird, like, why would you have this really cool treasure and, like, put it in your coffee cup, like, for Corvallis? Like, not like your nice fancy coffee cup, but just like your standard coffee cup that you get out at the last minute. And it's like, you're going to put your treasure in there. Like, we don't, in our context, we, don't, we put our treasures in the bank. We put our treasures in the promises of that degree. We put our treasures in the, the promises of our marriage. We put our treasures in all these other things. But Paul's saying, like, we have this treasure in clay jars, 
Like, I grew up in Memphis. It's a little different than Corvallis, but I can't imagine, like, all of my, not, not using the bank and, like, putting all your money and all your stuff into just, like, some vessels in, in the city. Like, you're, you're, it's going to be gone. But Paul is making that paradox here. He's like, man, you have this treasure and you have this thing that's, that's really fragile. And I'm not going to do it today, but a long time ago, I was kind of in the same verse, same scripture area. And, and like, unbeknownst to even me, the preacher, like, I literally took the vase. I had this bowl and I just, like, smashed it. Like, I didn't plan on it. It was just kind of this moment in the sermon. <laughs> it was really impactful, even to me to this day. Like, I did it. And I was like, oh, man. But, but I, I was really, like... Like, I wanted to. I was displaying the fact that, like, we are fragile people. We are broken. We are messed up. We are jacked up. If I drop this right now, it's going to shatter into a lot of pieces. But Jesus Christ is, is able to mend that. He's able to mold that back together. And, and I had my team that night, my volunteer team. I was like, don't throw it away. And, like, I actually got it, and I re-glued it all back together. And I talked about that next week. And it didn't make the move out here. It was really fragile, super fragile. But we had it for a long time. But it's this idea that, like, man, it, there's nothing fancy about this vessel. Like, it. It shouldn't be fancy. And in fact, if you think your vessel is pretty fancy, it's probably going to get broken. You're going to run into life circumstances. You're, you're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. There's cancer. There's death. There's all these things that, that, that come against our vessel. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that we are the jar clays. We are these vessels. We are these standard, everyday, earthly vessels. And this treasure is Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ is put inside of us. You know, if you can imagine for a moment, too, like, if you had some radiant treasure from the pirate movies or whatever, Treasure Island, and, like, it's glowing out of here, it's, like, radiant, like, you don't really care about the vessel. You're like, what in the world is in that vessel? And imagine if this vessel was all cracked and, like, light shooting out. Like, we just got, he, he previously talks about light of the gospel right before this, and it's like, what if this light was just blaring out? Like, you're not, like, care, you don't care about this vase. You're like, what in the world is inside of that? And I'm here to say that's, like, our life. As we go through suffering, like, that is how God is glorified. And it, it, it's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. That, but people are like, what is going on with that guy? Like, everything around him is, is crushing. Everything is going on in the church. There's persecution. All this thing is happening. But yet, God is glorified in that suffering. And, and people are looking through this momentary affliction and seeing the grace of God. Seeing the power of God. And even in this context, like, the word power actually has to do with dynamite. I mean, so... That just blows me away, blow away, ha <laughs> But like you're sticking dynamite, you're sticking this amazing, powerful thing into this little weak clay vessel. Like an explosion, a transformation, the gospel, when you encounter the gospel, it is powerful and it should transform your life. It should turn you upside down. It should change your perspective as you journey through this world. I read one commentary and he described the power of the Pacific Northwest of Mount St. Helens in 1980. I was three years old, I remember it, and no, I'm just kidding. I don't. But in 1980, that thing erupted, and it talked about, like, the transformation of the landscape and trees. And, and he was just saying that the power of the gospel inside of us just, it should wreck us. It should transform our lives, no matter how broken our vessel is or how well our vessel we think it is. And so he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing Power, the dynamite power that belongs to God and not to us. And he just got through in the beginning of this chapter saying, we don't preach ourselves. We don't change the word of God. We, we, it is all about Jesus. He actually says three things in this chapter. He says, we have this ministry. He says, we have this treasure that belongs to God and we have the same spirit. These are things we have. 
And as a believer of Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your heart to Jesus, you have this amazing power inside of you, no matter how broken you are. Verse 8 through 12, he goes on to say this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So as I read this, like Paul's writing to the church, they're being persecuted, they're, they're perplexed, they're, 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 they're feeling the pressure, the squeezing pressure of the world. And maybe it's not even just because they're believers, maybe it's the pressure of the world living in Corinth, a very uh, elegant city of its time. Maybe you're just falling into the world, but, but these things are momentary, is what Paul is getting at. And, and I'm here to, to say today that, that maybe you're here at this moment. Maybe you came in today and you feel afflicted or you feel perplexed or you feel persecuted. You feel struck down. And maybe that's not where you're at today, but, but in life, that, that is what is happening to us. It's a fallen world. Sin has entered the world. Sin, sin, sin has changed the way the earth is. It's changed the way that we are. And you and I are, are perplexed. I love the fact that, that as I kind of <laughs> thought about this this week. Paul not only, he talks about the physicalness, but he talks about the emotionalness. Like think about perplexion. Like the things that happened just recently in Las Vegas or, or you read the news and you read about other things going on, they're perplexing. They're like, God, what is going on? Or maybe there's friends in your life. Maybe it's your own life and you have death and you have cancer and you have things that you're walking through and you're perplexed. You're like, why is this? Has God forsaken me? And persecution can be physical. And it is physical for our brothers and sisters, but sometimes just the idea, the emotional state of persecution can drive you to fear. It can drive you to not pursue the gospel. It can drive you not to be bold. But he also talks about being thrown down, but we're not destroyed. And even in that persecution, God is not forsaken. And it, it's a beautiful irony that Jesus Christ experienced those things. Jesus Christ, it, he was crushed he was crushed for us. So in this affliction that, that he's already done it, he's already experienced it. And I just want to, I'll back up, you guys don't have to, I'll read it to you in first, Second Corinthians chapter 1. I think this is really important for this context. Just a couple of verses. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are afflicted or in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in the comfort too. And if we are afflicted, it is not your comfort, it is, not, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are afflicted, again, these paradoxes, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So this isn't just a letter to the church of Corinth and their suffering. Paul is pointing to the fact that, that this treasure of Christ that is inside of us is there for our suffering. 
And when we experience these perplexions and we've experienced persecution or we experience in these afflictions in our lives, we're allowed to go and comfort others by the same comfort we have. But if your treasure isn't Jesus Christ, in essence, we don't suffer well. And nobody, I don't like suffering. Moving here, it was very suffering in so many different ways for us. It's painful. I didn't like it. I still don't like it some days. My family doesn't like it. But God has called us here. And because we begin to experience this, we begin to relate to other people in different ways. Some of you have lost loved ones in your life, and that suffering and that pain allows you to comfort others. And it allows God to be glorified and the hero in the terrible tragedy. So we are afflicted, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're downtrodden. We carry this life of Jesus. We carry his death is what it says. And you think about everything that we just kind of mentioned that, that Jesus went through, that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured 40 days of temptation. He endured tiredness and sleeplessness. He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this away. He, he cried tears of blood. He screams out on the cross, why have you forsaken me? And again, he has experienced for us so that we could be with him and have life more abundantly. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he has raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us, with, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. So I don't know about you, I'm really grateful for like little, or little notes in your Bible. So basically, because when I'm reading this, it's like, just read it with, this is Jeremy reading it. And it's like, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. And I'm like, what? Like, it's in, like I believe and so I spoke. And, and in the commentaries, it was saying that the, the audience, the Corinthians church knew exactly what he was talking about. Like he quoted from Psalms 116. I'm going to read that for a second. But I guess like in our context, my wife said it best. It's like, may the force be with you. Like if I was having a conversation with you and all of a sudden I just start quoting Star Wars, you're like, oh wow, Star Wars. Yeah. So like this is way better than Star Wars. But Paul was, he was quoting Old Testament scripture, like this reference or like maybe it's the office or I don't know what it is for you guys. But uh, these quotes, like whatever your favorite show is, like he, so he quoted and they immediately drew back to the Psalms. And it's kind of a long psalm, but I think it's, it's worth our read here. So it kind of parallels uh, what, what he's talking about here. So Psalms 116. I actually don't recall which page number that is for you, but Psalms in the middle of the Bible. Chapter 116. And David writes this. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, and the, the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered in distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And gracious is the Lord in his righteousness. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me and returned, O oh my soul, to the rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from the death, my ears from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is where the quote came from, verse 10. I believed, and even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. 
I said in alarm, all of mankind is liars. Like all of mankind, like in your alarm that goes off, like all of mankind is falling. Like you read the news, you, you are perplexed. You're like, what in the world is going on? And the psalmist says, all of mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of the maidservant. You have loosened my bonds, and I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord. In the presence of all of his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So we see here the psalmist, is, he's saying that the pains of death are around me. I'm surrounded, I'm afflicted, but yet I will praise God. And praise God for his mercies that he hears me. Because we're going to get to these last few verses, and it's really about a perspective of our suffering. It's about a perspective of our momentary affliction that is real. This isn't to simply fly over and say, like, oh, I'm suffering. Oh, we'll just pray this prayer. Like, bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. It's going to be okay. The Bible says it's going to be okay. No, like, your experience, your reality in that moment of death and destruction and despair and chaos and wondering what in the world is going on is real. And it is a momentary affliction, though. And that's where we have to get that perspective. And we have to know that Jesus is there. He's not forsaking us. And I, th- I even come back to that perplexed, like driving us into despair, driving us into depression. It's such a tactic of the evil one. I know in my life, as, as I struggle with different things, whether it's sin or where God's calling us or leading us out here, it was like I could just downwardly spiral into this depression of perplexing because I don't have the answers and despair and I'm depressed and I, I, I begin to not glorify God in my life. I begin to forget about God. I begin to lean into the things of the world. I begin to forget about this treasure of Jesus Christ inside of me. And so Paul digs back into the psalmist and he quotes this for the Corinthian church. And he says, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us from the dead and bring us with him into his presence. Amen. For it is all for your sake so that the grace of God extends more and more to more and more people and it may increase his thanksgiving in the glory of God. In the beginning of this, he talks about us proclaiming the gospel. And in this, he talks about basically your suffering when we suffer well, it extends the grace of God to more people. This is an evangelistic tool in a sense that our suffering in this broken vessel the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. Because I think about, too, like a vessel can't even walk. Like they talk about that in the old, old prophets. They're like, yeah, you make this thing out of wood. You make these false idols. But like the vessel can't even move. Like you and I at, at reality cannot even move without God. We can't wake up. We can't breathe. We can't go get a job. Like it's the sustaining power of Jesus Christ inside of us. And often we neglect it. We don't give thanksgiving to that. We become consumed by our immediate suffering. And we forget to glorify God and that he is with us and that he's given us life and that we, when we suffer well, and it's not easy, God's grace is seen amongst those that are outside. And they are invited into this. They are drawn into this glorious thing that is inside of your vessel. Like, what? How is that person doing this? And they are drawn to the greatest treasure of all, Jesus Verse 16, 
So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul tells us again not to lose heart. And even though like we're wasting away, we're being renewed day by day. And I know there's a lot, maybe a lot more younger people in here than seasoned wise people, older people. But... So I, I just know, like, I'm 40, and my body doesn't really react the same. I'm doing soccer right now, and some of you know I was limping around for a while. Like, I think when I was 20, like, that injury would have been like, hey, I'm back the next week. But it takes a little longer to recover as you get older. It also takes a lot more energy to do things. And, and in your 20s, you don't think about that because you have all the energy in the world. You're cool. You're good to go. You can stay up till 5 a.m. and get an hour's sleep and go the next day. But the reality is as soon as you're born, we begin to die. Our bodies begin to digress. We all die. It's, it's 100% proven. We are all going to die. Some of us are blessed in aging old. Uh, my grandmother lived to be 96, and some people we know this year lost a child. Death is inevitable. And, and, and Paul is arguing to this case here that, that we are wasting away. Our bodies are deteriorating, they're getting old. Hey, we're not prominent. We don't know how long we have. But this treasure inside of us renews us day by day when we dig into the gospel, when we read the word of God that is living, that is powerful, when we pray, when we seek the Lord. We are renewed day by day. We, in the spirit of God, we are becoming more like him. At the point of death, we become like him. You know, the older I get, the more I, like, want to scream, come, Lord Jesus. At the fallenness of the world, the fallenness of, of my friends around us, the sin, the, the diseases, the, the things we see. But because of Jesus, we can be renewed day by day in our inner self. And he says this is a light momentary affliction. If you want to think of it as a boxing match, there's the lightweight and the heavyweight here. Remember that, verse 17. Like this lightweight momentary affliction has nothing to compare with the eternal weight of glory. And it all has to do with our moment of perspective. And again, it does not take away with, from the reality of pain. Please hear me say that. That pain is real. But know that Jesus experienced that same pain. He suffered so that he could comfort us and that we can comfort others. But when we become so fixated on that pain, and maybe there's a season where that's, that's just it. That's just your reality. And brothers and sisters in Christ, in that painful moment, you need to come around one another. You need to pray over people. You need to sing the gospel over people. Sing loud. Sing over them. Pray with them. Because it's just a moment that it's hard for them to even utter to God. They're just con you're perplexed. You're just beaten down. But we're called together as a community of believers to come around one another in that momentary thing. But to help fix our eyes on Jesus to fix our eyes on the eternal treasure. And as we look in verse 18, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
he later goes on to say, like, we walk by faith and not by sight. I'm here to say that you're in good company when you find yourself in that place. You know, as I read the scriptures, and uh, some of my favorite books are really just missionary stories. And I read these books, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that. I can't believe that that happened. Like, I, I shouldn't be shocked because this is the same God we worship. Or, like, I could just go on and on about all these stories about God showing up in different ways, whether it was money or food or Bible smuggling or this or that or just the missionary, like, man, they, they're about to give up and then the church is birthed and all these glorious things. And this is the same things we read about in the scripture. And, and God is gonna call you to do something that's beyond you and that's a good place to be. I often just coined in my own life that we should position ourselves in such a way that Jesus, that God has to show up. Because otherwise it's my own power. You need to position yourself in such a way that Jesus has to radically show up because then God is radically glorified around you. When it's of you and your strength and your might and your dreams and your desires, God is with you, but God may not be glorified in it. And we are to focus on these unseen things. And it's like the further I get in my Christian walk, like, you know, even coming out here, there's moments where it's like, Lord, okay, we've given you something. Like, can we stop? <laughs> we, we've bled a little bit more. We've sacrificed. And, but the reality is he's worth it. That treasure inside of me, that treasure is why I'm here. The treasure is why you are alive today. So that you can be a proclamation of the gospel to someone else, that, that you can extend this grace to another person. It, you know, I, I, I was convicted this week of just thinking about, like, what I'm not saying sometimes to myself. It's like, man, if I'm not sharing the gospel with somebody, I'm saying, like, man, it's probably not good enough for them. I'm good. I should go probably try to find a way to talk to my neighbor. By me not talking to my neighbor over and over again, I'm saying, them, that's probably not. They probably won't need the gospel. But I know how amazing and transformating this gospel is. That Jesus died on the cross, that he suffered, he was crushed for me and my sins, your sins, for all of humanity. That Jesus suffered for us. He didn't have to. Man, he was king. We talked last week, he left heaven and came down here to make us rich with this glorious treasure. So today I ask you, what is your treasure? Maybe what is your momentary affliction? What's, what's the reality of your moment? And what does God say that is truthful about that moment in his scriptures? And can we this week, can we today kind of ask God to, to change our perspective? And that, that God, give me, an, uh, this is really hard, but can you please give me an eternal perspective? Help me suffer well. Help me to, to endure. Help me to press on so that you might be glorified, that others may somehow through this strange moment that you would be known through this paradox that doesn't make sense. And so I don't know, like, where you're at today. So some of you maybe just need to surrender that, that thing to Jesus instead of trying to fix it yourself. As you, as you are a believer, but maybe today you don't know Jesus. Are you have, this is the first time you've heard any of this. Or like, what, is, what are these questions? God is working inside of you. 
What does it mean to follow Christ? That's the question that was pr- proposed to me in my mind and my heart. But that Jesus is real. He's powerful. He sits on the throne today. And by his shed blood that we just sang about, rescued us and redeemed us to be his. We're actually his treasure. <laughs> That's crazy. Like he gives me this treasure, but then he's like, man, Jeremy, you're my treasure. You out here, you're, you're his treasure. You're his precious child. You're ambassadors. So let us be good stewards of this treasure that is inside of your vessel today. And Father, help us to have our eyes fixed on the unseen and to walk by faith in the craziest ways. To put our life out there as a risk for Jesus, that he may be glorified, that he may be known in Corvallis in Oregon, that this city would not be 95% unevangelized, but like a revival, a movement of God would begin happening in the city because he, the people around are seeing God at work. And may we be those vessels, as broken as we are, containing the glorious, greatest hope ever to be told on the face of the earth and ever will be told. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you, um, God, in my brokenness and our brokenness that you are faithful and our faithlessness and that you speak through it with power and might. We thank you for your scripture. God, and for me, myself, I know today, God, I just, this week I will need an internal perspective. God, help us to, to suffer well as individuals with you. Help us to suffer well as a body to come around one another, God. But God, also, we want to give you thanksgiving and we want to rejoice when we're not in those moments, God. But we just thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross, defeating death, defeating despair, disarming the powers of this world so that we can be free in you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.